When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. The other thing that adds to the distrust is when you see all of these things um, feeding into what you mentioned, the climate change agenda. And so, you know, we've seen this in the media relentlessly. Um, but yeah, just to speak to the Okanagan especially, um, wildfires are a part of this region. If, if you've lived in the Okanagan any length of time, you're, you're going to expect that there's going to be some fires nearby every July and August. Hey everyone, Michael Thiessen here, and you are listening to Open Mic with me, Michael Thiessen. This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness. We want to teach people about what the true definitions of Christ's righteousness and and righteousness and justice are, and to defend those who stand. You know, when Christians live in this very real world, they come up against legal battles. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, hope-filled, and hope-balanced perspective on national and global issues. For those of you who listen to the show regularly, you will realize that I botched that opening royally. But we'll just keep pressing on because Ross is a busy man and we want to get to talking to him. Let me first tell you about two events we're having uh, coming up. First in October, on October 23rd and 24th, we are at Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo on the 23rd. Then on the 24th, we're at Trinity Baptist Church in Burlington. Uh, We are recording live Liberty Coalition Canada podcast. So that's with me in person, with Tim Tyso in person, Andrew DiBartolo and Matthew Halleck, along with other special guests. We want you to be here. This is really a time where we want to uh, have some fun and raise some funds for our legal initiatives. It'll be $25 a person to cover charges. Secondly, our second event coming up this fall is the Spark Leadership Conference. This is something we are running in Charleston, South Carolina. This is October 31st to November 1st. And this is where we are going to platform Canadian pastors' stories, those who are connected with Liberty Coalition Canada, to illustrate the current evangelistic, legal, and cultural challenges facing the church in North America. If you're a Canadian, you're you're often interested to have the American church hear your story because we, we're, we're 10 to 15 years ahead of their culture 
And in the U.S., you're kind of hearing all these crazy stories coming out of Canada. Are they true? Well, we are holding this special time in order to testify about what God has been doing in the churches that have stood up in the context of secular authoritarianism. So please come out. Tickets will be $50. You, they're available at sparkconferences.org. Okay, so everybody, today I am introducing and interviewing Pastor Ross Odnikon and uh, Ross Pastors Redeemer Baptist Church in Kelowna, BC. Ross, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. I I really hate doing announcements. I've always hated church announcements. I'm I'm more nervous about doing church announcements because I feel like there's such a distraction than I am about doing anything else with regard to like preaching or teaching. It's the same thing with the podcast. I just got to get through the preamble so people know what's going on and then I'm fine. So thank you for uh, suffering through that intro with me. Um, Ross, you are coming to us from, you basically live in the Hawaii of Canada. Yeah, basically, you know, in uh, church planting, uh, you know, you go to a church planting class or something, and there's always a guy who says, I want to plant in Maui or something. And maybe that's not as attractive now in light of what they went through. But um, right. but yeah, this is, Kelowna is kind of the Canadian version of that. You say, oh, well, that's a tough calling, you know, go to the Okanagan and it's a beautiful place. Yeah, you go to you go to conferences and kind of keep your head down until you're starting to look for interns, and then it's like, well, who wants to come? And you can hike, and you can ski, and we have a lake. It's 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 a really hard place, you know, for 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 an internship. You know, you you keep your head down until you're going for interns, and then you have a long line of young people. Absolutely, yeah. That's hilarious. That's great. Well, look, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show and having a little, a little bit of fun there at the beginning. Um, Ross, as you know, we are going to talk about wildfires. We're going to talk about climate change and the climate change agenda. And uh, we are going to talk about good Christian stewardship and trusting God in the middle of some hard times. And for those of you who are listening, obviously the reason why we're having these conversations is because if you're on social media or if you've been watching the news, you will have seen Kelowna on fire. You, you, these massive um, fires going through British Columbia. And you will have heard from every media outlet, climate change, climate change, climate change. And so we at Liberty Coalition Canada were hearing stories um, from the ground, uh, individuals and Christians on the ground in Kelowna, you know, some, uh, some individuals were speculating whether or not, uh, one of the fires that was currently raging, um, might've been started because of poor management, uh, like, like an actual, uh, controlled burn that went, that went awry. And it's important that we Christians understand these issues uh, in, in, I, I want to say in real time. So here we have Pastor Ross. Ross is with us, and we're going to kind of just walk through what has been happening in BC. So Ross, wildfires, tell us some stories, tell us what's been happening on the ground. And, you know, I think everybody is asking for some type of information about whether or not 
uh, climate change is the cause of these things or if there's some more local regional issues going on? Yeah. So we've been going through some major fires, uh, West Kelowna and also on the east side of the lake, too. There's been the McDougal Creek fire. Um, the Shushwap, just north of us, you know, hour and a half, two hours, they have the Bush Creek fire, I think they call it, and that's in Salmon Arm area. And both have been very serious fires. The The McDougal Creek one, it was really a small fire, even on Thursday morning, uh, August 18th, I believe it was, or 17th, August 17th. And then a wind came through um, that afternoon and just really picked up. And I think technically a cold front going by and it stirred up this fire. This was just above the hills in West Kelowna. So not too far from town. And it just, it just started growing like crazy. So Thursday was a night to remember. Um, I was actually with some of my uh, uh, guys from our church. We go downtown Kelowna and we do some street evangelism, some street preaching. And usually there's like a bit of a tourist crowd kind of walking by and some locals walking by um, but we were looking directly at from the east side across the lake and we could just see the fire, just the, you know, the cloud. And then eventually we started seeing flames coming down the hill, um, trees candling, you know, and that's where basically, uh, you know, just imagine this hundred foot or whatever tall fir tree or pine tree, just literally fully a candle just, and you can see it from, you know, kilometers away. And so we're seeing this happening and I, I'm the crowd, a crowd is a kind of developing and usually, you know, I, as a street preacher guy, I'd be like, okay, this is great. We have a crowd, but it was really tense and, and everyone was so distracted by that. So we ended up, um, you know, just kind of finishing our normal time. And, um, but yeah, that after that, um, you know, just kind of kept on checking on it in the night. I went out in my, my truck and was just looking and it, it was kind of apocalyptic like the way it came down the hill it went all the way down to the lake and really devastated a bunch of communities on the north um side of of the of west Kelowna so it was kind of reported like oh west Kelowna's burning west Kelowna's burning and and that's true in a sense but it was really the outskirts on the northern side so a lot of rural properties and also some um, the Okanagan uh, Resort. There's a few things that burnt down that are really significant. Traders Cove, stuff like that. Um, I believe total, it's, it's it's almost 200 properties um, were burnt down. But that Thursday night, it was just this red glow. It was like looking into Mordor in like Lord of the Rings. You know, you just you just see this red glow everywhere. Uh, but then it got even more interesting because um, I can't remember what time of night it was, but it it hopped the lake. So fires can, you know, when, when it's that windy and that crazy, um, you know, fires can apparently, they could spot two kilometers ahead of themselves. And so there was a fire started down in the bottom on the east side, kind of in a, a pretty hilly area, and it ran its way up the hill. And this maybe happened a couple of places. And so then now on the more populated east side where there's, there's Kelowna, there's Glenmore as a neighborhood, there's Lake Country fires spreading all all throughout and uh so now they had you know basically a five alarm emergency on the west side with a matching emergency now on the east side and so everyone who and then the helicopters bombers they all have to stop in the night uh you can't you know you can't just do it in the night all night long so 
everyone had a probably a pretty tense sleep in the Okanagan and uh, or didn't sleep at all. And then uh, Friday morning, it was windy, wasn't good, and the wind started blowing it back towards uh, West Kelowna proper. So the wind originally was kind of going north, like heading in a northern direction. And eventually, it, you know, it turns back um, on itself. And that's when some more homes in West Kelowna started to go up in flames too on the kind of on the lake side of it. And uh, yeah, so that was Thursday, Friday were really the tense moments. And then Saturday, uh, you know, it was kind of calmed down a bit. The, you know, this was actually a real answer to prayer. Um, many of us, you know, in our church, I'm sure other churches too, we're praying, Lord, like you are in control of the wind and please like bring rain, bring, uh, get rid of the wind. And uh, amazingly, even though like the weather network and all these people said, we're going to have a windy night, we're going to have another windy day. Uh, there was hardly a breath of wind Saturday and Sunday. And I just really praise God for that. And I think even um, one of the a chief of West Bank First Nation, I think he even, he even had an article saying, like, we need to pray to, to the higher power. We need to pray to God. And I just thought, well, this is good. You know, I want him to know Christ and, and pray to pray to uh, the true God. Right. But it just seeing that impulse was actually kind of a nice thing to see that people were realizing, okay, we can do all the firefighting we want to do, but ultimately we need God. We need God to change the wind or stop the wind, bring the rain. Um, early the next week, there was rain and the fire really calmed down so much so that I think people kind of, kind of got a little bit more relaxed, but it is still a major fire situation here in the Okanagan where um, people are under evacuation still. There's others that are under evacuation alert, um, you know, and it's it's still too close to the city for anyone to really breathe easy. But but yet, um, yeah, it's it's so it's not under control. But but at the same time, uh, rain has been coming. We've had a couple of rainy days and. Um, yeah, God's been good in a lot of ways throughout it. But yeah, it's it's been a a real major. This is a major calamity. It's a major disaster, uh, on par with say 2003's fires that happened here as well, from Okanagan Mountain down into Kelowna. So Ross, uh, yeah, Ross, on on just maybe for some more local specifics, um, like. Is there a major firefighter presence in the area? Would would locals be deputized or or uh, you know recruited to come out and and join the firefighting effort? Um, when you know, like we're we're talking about two hundred properties, so so this is going to affect. Um, this is going to affect many people's lives for many years to come. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of is the local response? You know, when, 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 for someone who has never lived where you live, how do people generally get involved quickly or, or what do they do when fires like this come? Yeah. Well, I think it's a little bit of a different response if you are in the city proper like you're in west Kelowna, um or if you're say up in the shushua uh or maybe in one of the smaller communities uh in a more rural community as well um you know a lot of uh, here's an example in in my church you know there's a, a family that has a, a ranch uh, on the west side and they they have horses 
And I believe even at times, you know, maybe there was an actual evacuation uh, uh, order. I, I know he was on alert a lot, but there was a commitment that, no, I, I have to stay and protect these horses and our property. You know, other people had put their horses on his property as well. Um, they were in a worse situation. And so um, a lot of people, you know, even myself included, like we're, um, you know, running the sprinklers, doing these things, and, and uh, we're not too far from the lake on the Kelowna side. So there was on that Friday, it was a little bit intense because we'd seen fires start on the on the east side from that west side fire. Um, but yeah, when it comes to people who have especially farms or, or properties like that, um, there is a much stronger desire and even the resources on your farm to try to protect it, try to save your neighbor's houses. Um, the Shushwap had a lot more of this and a little bit of a fiasco with that as well, because there are people that have, you know, they have a truck with big water tank, they've got hoses, they got these things, and they're being blocked from going. And, and one of the issues with that type of thing is, like, here I am in, in Kelowna, and, and on that Thursday night, there are people um and and I'm one of them who wants to see the fire and what's going on. It's not because of some kind of perverse, you know, like love of destruction, but it's it's an it is an awesome sight in, in a sense, and it's also very you know real. It's right there, and it might be immediately dangerous to us. So people want to see what's going on. They don't want to just um, sit down. So a lot of people are driving. A lot of people go to like a lookout point. And actually, at one of the lookout points, uh, that's actually one of the spots where the fire leapt the lake, right? And so, and then police and firefighters are having trouble because they have all these people out and about, and they need to get people evacuated out of a neighborhood really quickly. And there's all so you can see how there's a bit of a tension there. Um, and in addition to that, when these evacuations uh, go on. There's even people, and this is just the the heart of man, that there are people that will go and loot uh people's properties. And so there's a there's an interest in the authorities, as it were, to to say, hey, no one's coming in here because we we can't, we don't want looting, we don't want this. The other thing too is um let's say someone's truly foolish about it and they they do not there's a real danger and they just are gonna stay to the lat and they're maybe even gonna, you know, they'll they'll perish in their own house fire and they're they're content with that. And there's a sense that we'd say, well, that person should have the right to do that and and, and there's a freedom there. But at the same time, um emergency personnel, they have a duty to save life and to protect life. They don't always, you know, we think of our culture as very much confused on this point where in one hand we value life and then we totally devalue life. And so it's hard to know what to think, but in, in emergency, um, you know, rescue situations, if someone has got themselves into trouble, maybe in their own, because they didn't say follow a, an evacuation or they just did this, um, they will go at great risk to themselves to save that person. And so because of that reality, their commitment that they're going to come save you, they're going to want to maybe protect, lock things down a bit and say, hey, don't come in and out of here. We need to get everybody out of here. And so you can understand that. Um, but at the same time, there are people who say, I don't think you have all the resources that you that you claim you do. And and, you know, there's a can be a bit of a pride thing where there's, you know, the 
the official, the trust the experts type of thing where, hey, we're going to fight this fire, leave this to us. Um, and yet there's homeowners, there's there are farmers, ranchers that say, no, I've prepared for this. This is my property. This is my neighbor's property. Um, let me stay and protect my land. Uh, I'll take responsibility for that. And so I, I think that I think that number one, you laid out a scenario there that um, if you're talking about a subdivision and there's looting going on and yeah. people are, obvi- are are not prepared in the sense of like they're in a subdivision I, uh, unless they've got big tankers full of water that are protecting the subdivision. Yeah, this is a real tension, Ross, because I I can sit there, I hear you describing it, and I go on one hand, if I'm that farmer and I've got tanks full of water, and I've been preparing this for years, I I would want that freedom to to say to the police, guys, thanks, but no thanks, like I, I I've got this, um, or our community has got this. Yeah, uh, it is it is a real tension, and 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 I do think. You know, for all of our listeners who are skeptical of trust the expert, who are skeptical of the, the the what would seem to be a constant government overreach in other areas, this can be really confusing on the ground. I, I will actually return to a constitutional thought that has been ignored by those people who imposed previous lockdowns on us, and and that is demonstrable evidence. Like if, if, if there is a police officer saying, look, there's armed people robbing houses two doors over. And by the way, the house is licking with fire. Um, you know, folks, that we've got some really credible um, people giving us, uh, giving us wisdom there. I, yeah. I, I know that this is full of tension, Ross. I think this is going to be an ongoing problem um, for many of us in the future as other areas where the government overreaches and lies. So that, that that's going to lead us into our next part of the conversation, which would be the climate change agenda where you have a, where you have a population of people who want to be left alone from a government that is trying to further and further encroach upon them. Um, and yeah. again, we actually heard stories, Ross, from individuals who are saying, look, like we have the fire managed. We're not being allowed to go and do it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I would hope that in those cases, those individuals would have maybe have a legal recourse. You know, if, if, if a, if a police officer on the ground made a decision to block a road, um, then I, this would be another example where we would need you know, a, a lawful way to have a recourse and a discussion about that um, yeah. rather than either a fully authoritarian answer um, or having a completely negligent answer. And so, folks, if you're in that case and you're you're frustrated, you're thinking, look, the, the government lit this fire uh, by accident, at least one of them um, lit, lit, it, lit the fire as a controlled burn and that got out of control. Um, and then the government didn't let me go and and um, and fight for my own home when I was prepared. You know, uh, you you may have lost a lot right now. It would be a worthwhile conversation for you to go and talk and receive some legal advice on what would you do in that case? Because there are many other situations where, of course, um, you know, uh, looting and an active fire is a very serious thing that 
we we not we shouldn't play with. But but Ross, let's go to the second point. Uh, you can you can clarify anything that you want there, but let's start moving on to the second point where many people are really frustrated, and this is actually why I, I, uh, partly why I called you. They're really fl- frustrated with this ongoing. It's a climate change agenda. So we have been hearing yeah. nothing about nothing about anything other than climate change on these issues for months now since yeah. the fires started burning and that and the reason why i called you about this again because in this trust the expert moment we go we don't trust the experts like we, we don't trust what we're being told yeah so on the ground what are some things you're seeing are you seeing climate change in the okanagan valley or are you seeing other factors that would be contributing to these these fires number one you referenced 2003 already yeah um yeah there's a there's a lot to to tie in there one thing if i could just kind of uh tie into something we were just saying about maybe in the shoe swap with uh that that conflict between homeowners and the authorities and it really does come down to you know there's this inflexibility and it's almost like you said it's either fully authoritarian and it's like, you know, this rule is hard and fast or it's just chaos and you're on your own. And it's like, can't we work together? And there's actually been a little bit of concession there recently, which is good. So they have been enlisting some people uh, to fight the fires and, and they give them, you know, a little training on wildfire stuff and then send them out. So we'd love to see more of that because it seems like we, we can't do the, you know, we, the problem is, we have an infantilized population and a nanny state to match, right? So we have people that as soon as a disaster comes, they just say, government, you know, or please help me. And they turn, they always turn to the experts. They always turn to the government. And so there's lawful, there's really good authority. Authority is not a, a, something that we should chafe against. God established authorities. Um, but we've seen such an overreach um, and so much authoritarianism that people are rightly skittish about it. And, you know, we're a little bit burnt out uh, to pardon the language there, burnt out, you know, on a, on emergencies. Yeah, exactly. We're a little burnt out on emergencies and emergency powers. And uh, we're just not sure we can trust that. Um, but the furthermore, other- furthermore, onto your point, I, I I know I'm cutting in here, but on your point, like if you're a mature individual who is prepared, you're sitting there going, wait a minute, I can understand it for the infant who doesn't know what he or she is doing and running to yeah. you going, tell me what to do. But I've actually thought this out and I actually communicated this plan to you over the number of years, you know me, you know, right. it really requires an ongoing discussion about about uh, individual liberty and individual preparedness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, instead of running against red tape and bureaucracy, and it's like, well, you know, we're going to stand here and watch this burn, and we're going to prevent you from fighting it. It's just like, can we stop that? You know, sometimes you get the environmental type of things too, where those, you know, maybe a tree um, is has fire damage already, and they and they'll say, okay, we can't have firefighters in here because these might fall down. Um, and, and that's a very real thing. You have to get firefighters out of certain situations when it gets too much. Um, but they'll have environmental people do an assessment and they'll have to wait for them to come there, do the assessment before. And these firefighters are just standing there 
waiting for all this red tape to happen. And meanwhile, this fire has tripled in size. And you just think, okay, we have to, we have to have more common sense than that. But then the other thing that adds to the distrust is when you see all of these things um, feeding into what you mentioned, the climate change agenda. And so, you know, we've seen this in the media relentlessly. Um, but yeah, just to speak to the Okanagan, especially, um, wildfires are a part of this region. You know, Kelowna is a set, uh, the Okanagan Kelowna area is a semi-arid place. You know, it's kind of desert-like, um, not a true desert, but it's it's dry. Ponderosa pine is the main, you know, tree around here. It's And it's kind of, you know, rain in the winter and then dry in the summer. So if, if you've lived in the Okanagan any length of time, you're you're going to expect that there's going to be some fires nearby every July and August, um, for sure. And that's that's just the nature of this place. Um, and so, but here's in 2003, for example, you didn't hear a word about climate change and about global warming during these fires. They just talked about, hey, what contributed to this? How can we do better in the future? Um, but they never once said, uh, we need to, you know, get off of uh, gasoline cars and this and that and go to renewables. That'll solve the fires. They didn't go there at all. And the reason they didn't is because this is the current agenda. This is the current talking point narrative. And, you know, this is what, what we're hearing. Everyone's hearing it. Um, but the the fact on the ground is that these fires are not because of some global climate change uh, thing. You know, this is that's way... There's way too many steps involved in that calculation. There's a very more, uh, very closer to home reason for these fires. And like I said, it's it's this is a semi-arid climate in a sense. It, it has been that. It will continue to be that. Um, and there's also been some forest, you know, management issues too, where you, um, this is what they said in 2003. What we need to do better is we actually need to do uh, these prescribed burns uh, in the spring, in the fall, um, especially. And and really you kind of declutter the forest as it were. Um, and if you don't do that, and if every fire that's burning around, you always suppress it. Like if you have a, a zero fire policy, you say we want zero fire um, and we're gonna suppress every fire. And let's say you, you even did that. The fact is, is that's, actually not how God designed this place. You know, there's actually a very useful and wonderful design of fire in, in forests uh, where it, it clears the understory, it clears all this, uh, this fuel um, that's been piling up. And, and you know, it, it can whip through a forest, it leaves a lot of trees, but it clears the understory. You'll see charred trees all the time that are still standing um, often, this is kind of people don't know what to make of this, but you'll see houses completely burned and, and the trees standing right next to it. Still, you say, well, why didn't the trees burn? It's like God designed trees for fires to, you know, some of them do candle and they and they burn up. But the fact is, is that that's often how it goes. Is it, It's not like a, a wall of flame that just takes everything out. Um, it kind of skips over stuff and it, it clears things. Um you know, another example of God's good design, even in this, is uh, there's a lodgepole pine uh, trees. They have these pine cones that actually won't release their seeds unless a fire comes through. And it's very, very odd that way. They have to heat up, and then they, and then the other thing about that is that 
those little saplings, they have now a clear story above them to grow. And you just think, okay, fires are, are a natural thing. There's something that we have to live with and know how to live with. So we don't want to work against nature. We want to work with nature, you know, with what God has, has given us. And so I think a lot of people are confused on that. Um, but so, and then the other, not just people, but the climate change agenda completely just doesn't take that into account. Like any, with climate change, any data point, you know, more fires, less fires, hotter, colder, anything, they just marshal that to serve uh, this agenda. And the other really odd thing about it is it's always human caused climate change. You know, like I don't hold to the fact that climate is static and that never changes. Like this world's, you know, we could be warming up. We could be cooling down. Things happen. This is a very wonderful and amazing world. Um, but the human caused climate change is really bogus. Um, you know, you think of even the pride in that. In making that statement, like it's it's quite odd, you know. David Ebby, our our premier, right after these wildfires, he made a point to say this is human caused climate change. This is this is what we're seeing, and he's essentially looking at the fire and saying we did this, we we made this fire. This is our fault, and that's in an odd way something kind of strange to brag about. You know, man is so proud that he even takes credit for disasters. You know, and uh, that's bizarre. You know, we used to see some things as acts of God. And now we're seeing we want to claim everything as an act of man in some way. And and it's, you know, it's part of it is in order to control, in order to make an agenda and to, to change behavior of people, to transition people into a new future. Um, and so this they'll, they'll never miss an opportunity to do that. Don't leave an emergency or don't, you know, don't leave a disaster. Un, unused for your purposes politically. Hey friends, I'm happy to talk to you again about Rocklink Investment Partners. With inflation at 40-year highs and economic stagflation on the horizon, growing and preserving your hard-earned capital is of utmost importance. I know it's on my mind. And that's why Rocklink Investment Partners are so essential because they understand the investment challenges of today. Rocklink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high quality businesses anchored to the time tested principles of value investing. And they do not shy away from essential businesses that do not meet the world economics forms definition of ESG. So email rocklink at info at rocklink.com. That's rocklink with a C or visit them at www.rocklink.com. And again, that's link with a C. So it's, it's interesting the way that you just said that phrase, don't leave a disaster unused for your purposes politically, because the sentiment the, the actual truthful and real sentiment to that is back to the comment you're making about fire. You know, um, when a fire rages through an area, it, it, it manages in with, with a different term, with an unpleasing, with an unpleasing way to us potentially, yeah. uh, it manages the force. And so if you see an emergency or you see a situation and you've realized, oh, these are the things that we missed, 
This is the solution we have. This is a solution we need. That in, in that sentiment, that's where you do look at emergency and you go, okay, this is causing me to think about how I react to this. But this idea of climate change is the perfect, you know, you use this phrase off camera and I appreciate it. it, it it's like, it's the golden goose of political rhetoric. I, I've been yeah. saying that climate change is the, uh, uh, is like the boogeyman of politics. Like it is, it's a, the, the perfect, the, the, the perfect, uh, Foil. Yeah, it, it's like it's like the it's like the, the the perfect mobster Mikey and Vinny. You know, I always say to people, you know, uh, how does church discipline work at your church? And I'm like, oh, we just send a guy named Mikey and Vinny over. They deal with you. <laughs> um, so it's it's the perfect rhetoric to scare people up and to say, yeah. what do we do? What do we do? But it always leads to the perfectly wrong solution. Yeah. So. Stop running vehicles, okay? We'll stop running the the helicopters and the fire trucks that would fight this fire. No, no, not that. Okay, well, well, what do you mean? And it never leads to a local on the ground solution. So it's this, it's this, it's this national and even global rhetoric that yeah. means nothing. It, it's so, it, it's so beneficial. It just, it keeps producing gold for politicians. Uh, yeah. For people who who aren't looking closely, but it actually always produces the wrong solution because the solution is never local and um, reacting to the actual situation on the ground. Yeah, in a sense, you know, because it's an agenda, um, and they, we use the term "golden goose," but it's like they they have a vested interest in there being disasters because the the whole thing that they're trying to say is that uh climate is changing radically and it is your f-150's fault and the cows on your ranch and and all of that and it's it's you you're doing it and we need to change you and so if everything was calm and peaceful and there were no emergencies well then that argument would fall flat so they they just take any data point and they they really have an interest in hamming it up or as it were making it bigger and and it becomes a heads I win, tails you lose kind of situation where no matter what happens, it's your fault. Yeah, your house burns, heads, so tails you lose, and heads I win. I don't get to talk about the fact that um the you know, this was a controlled burn gone bad, or uh you weren't permitted to go to your house to defend your house. Mm -hmm. or the wind was severe and that was just abnormal or the rain came and saved much of the town. Like it, none, it never allows you to solve the problem that is actually on the ground, but it always allows you to keep harping. So, so mm -hmm. this is really dangerous folks. The reason why Ross and I are talking about this is I wanted you to meet an on the ground pastor and, and Ross, this is what I call farmer wisdom. You know, the yeah. academic world and sometimes the elite world there, there's just so many different individuals involved and clamoring for some type of um, position that would, would allow them to be the talking head, the speaking expert when really on the ground, you know, farmers, farmers and, and, uh, forest rangers they've got some pretty practical advice you know like 
Oh, absolutely. And we need to start taking the on the ground advice um, seriously. And I, I want to say that as a guy who generally, you know, go into an area and, and there's like, there's a high level of fire risk and, 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 you know, you, you drive into an area and the, 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 the measurement meter is over in the red. I'm the yep. type of guy who'd be like, ah, I can figure it out. Where, you know, in those situations, someone's doing a local look, they're doing a local assessment. They're, 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 it hasn't rained in 17 days. It's dry and arid. Let's show caution. Like those are, those are good pieces of advice. Um, and I'm just maybe admitting for my listener, I'd, I'm the type of guy who doesn't like to even just initially listen to those things, but there are people on the ground who really have got some good advice that we need to start listening to, but we have to get away from this alarmism and this conversion off of fossil fuels idea mm-hmm. um, and, and implement some good changes. Like Ross, it, it, I don't know. Do you, do you and the guys of your church sit around and say, here are four ways that things could be managed a little bit better. Has anybody been given thought to that? Like it doesn't have to be, rocket science and you and I aren't legal, uh, legally uh, responsible for our advice here. Would, would guys in your church sit around and have that conversation over coffee? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so many of our guys actually, people, uh, there's a real kind of pride in, in the experts type of thing where, you know, we know, you know, don't, you don't worry your sweet little head about these problems. They're too big for you. And yet it's the farmers, it's the ranchers, it's the ordinary men and women that, actually think about these things and and um have done research and you know we have some folks in our church that have been here for decades many decades and they've seen this so there's wisdom there their parents were here their grandparents were here um so there's wisdom in that there's people that work in forestry there's hunters there's guys who know the the back country here like nobody's business um anyways all so we do talk about that and i yeah i absolutely love the blue collar wisdom, maybe the blue collar intellectuals. I try to be one. I'm a bivocational pastor. Uh, I'm a carpenter as well. And I I actually find that it's, there's certain things that are so, you know, you almost need an advanced degree to believe some of the foolish things that, that they, that they tell you. Right. And I have more in common with the guy who's just been working hard, providing for his family and observant of the world, right? He remembers what the politicians said 10 years ago, and he remembers what they're saying today. And, you know, you got to love that. And, you know, some of the ideas, by the way, and these are, you know, there are experts that would say what I'm about to say too, but it's pretty obvious that prescribed burns or controlled burns are a good idea. But they're a risky thing to do, and especially to do them in the middle of the fire. And and there was obviously a mistake made in the shoe swap. Um, And they're risky because God can send a wind and turn the wind on you just like you you never expected it. And and we need to be humble about that, right? And realize, okay, we should maybe do these prescribed burns uh, when rain is right in the forecast. And, you know, and we're able to do this. And we're going to think small, do a little bit here. Um, the other thing too is, uh, you know, when you have a big community in the middle of a forest or surrounded by forest, um, well, that's a an area that you should take special care in, right? To to do these prescribed burns, to do really good forest management, um, even in, as you design a community to have some some buffer zones and things like that. 
Um, and so we've not always made wise decisions with this and, and, you know, but the solution, yeah. Would something like that be battled by the green agenda? Like if you're talking about a buffer zone or, or even, or even like, um, I know the forestry industry has taken great care to replant, yeah. but even, you know, uh, deforesting an area, um, and, 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 you know, doing normal replanting for the replenishment of the forest. But, um, would, would that be, would you see environmentalists battle things that folks on the ground to protect human life would, would, would be saying, is there a conflict there? Yeah, there is. I mean, the green movement, the green agenda people are essentially, you know, the really diehards, uh, they want zero carbon. They want no carbon. And so they, that means like if you think of a forest fire, that is just an obscene amount of carbon being released. And uh, no one's really talking about that, that that outweighs anything that you and I did with our trucks. And, you know, it's just, it's just not a competition. Thankful that you recognized immediately that I'm that I own a pickup truck. Thank I just you. assumed, you know, I, yeah, I just thought yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, you know, the green movement type of folks, the real diehards, uh, they actually want to reduce all carbon, meaning they want to reduce you. They don't want they want as you know. You think what does it mean to have no carbon footprint? Well, it means that you're not here anymore. You're dead. That's what that's the agenda. Is very anti-human, and there's kind of this vision of this oh the world would be just so beautiful without people it'd be this untouched wonderful thing but that doesn't actually agree with god's word you know which teaches that god created man in his image and that he's given us this great task of stewardship you know to work and to keep it's the dominion mandate as you know right and we think um, you know, Genesis one twenty eight: be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over every living thing. And so forest management, wildfire protection, these are things that we should do, um, but we should do them wisely and humbly under God. We shouldn't do it in a megalomaniacal kind of way of like we control everything. And, you know, where every every problem is the fault of people. And every solution has to come from people, you know, it's, either. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really interesting because if you just think about this, the only reason why we would want to stop a forest fire is to defend people yeah. and, and property. And so you have the cultural mandate, you have the dominion mandate and, and folks, you, you will hear that quite regularly throughout um, from Christians who are thinking about this. And, and it, it is, it is the idea that we are created in the image of God who is a creator. So we are creative beings given responsibility, not to create and manage. Um, that's why we have agriculture. We are cultivating the earth, but it's interesting, this vision of anti-human Ross, cause it's almost like if it would be so beautiful, if none of us were here, and then the forest would just burn freely. And it's like, so the problem is me. You don't want me here. Yes. The problem's not actually forest fires. You don't actually really care about managing them because you just think if we weren't here, they'd be beautiful anyway. Like it's, it's so, it's so anti-human to say you shouldn't manage the protection of life by managing nature in order to say then nature would be free 
and paint a utopia of nature. But if nature was left to itself, the forest would just rage and burn wherever they want. And nobody, no one would be concerned about anything. Um, it really is not helpful folks. We, we really have to shake our heads about this and return to we're responsible for human life. We are responsible for managing this forests and management has very tangible on the ground things like forestry and, 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 and clear cutting and creating buffer zones and replanting and control burns, all of these things. Uh, are for the protection of humans and for the development of a beautiful forest that, as Ross, I appreciate, as, you, as, as you've admitted, we can only manage to a certain degree. We're really only managing what the forests do around humans as much as we possibly can. And then, as you saw a few weeks ago, we, we, we are very impotent to really fight that anyways. Yeah. Yeah, there, we could all use a, a really good dose of humility. Um, and I do want to say as well that I'm very thankful to all, all of the firefighters, you know, the hundreds of firefighters here and those that have, have put all these efforts in because they're doing a good work, you know, and, and, um, you know, I'm more of a small government kind of guy. I want lower taxes and all that, but I wouldn't be opposed to spending a little more money as a, as a province and as a country to say, let's get a few more of these bombers, you know, let's get a few, let's, uh, let's you know, have a bit more resources allocated for forest fire, you know, fighting these fires and also some of that preventative work, like the amount of crazy things we spend money on as a country. Why would we not spend it on something like that? You know, everyone would could get behind that. And so, you know, but when it comes down to it, uh, there's this bigger agenda that's, that's pushing you to basically, um, look to the authorities, look to the government, um, get a solution from them. And, and yet, like you said, these problems are so much bigger than man. And, uh, you know, we need to, this is where I was really, my heart went when this fire happened was uh, praying to God, trusting the Lord. Um, and, you know, had to, got to preach that Sunday and, and I was going through the Psalms and I decided to rework uh, the order of what Psalms I was going to preach when, and I preached Psalm 56, um, in God, I trust, you know, what can man do to me? I will not be afraid. Uh, you know, and this, this whole idea of how can you be, um, at peace in the middle of disaster and all these things? Well, you can, if you trust God and that, you know, that he is ultimately sovereign over these things and that his pro, you know, he's providentially in control. And with that, it doesn't mean that you don't do the good stewardship and that you try to fix problems. You know, that's our human agency. God uses means uh, to do things. But when disaster strikes, when, when your prescribed burn goes the wrong way, um, instead of lashing out at each other in these things, we need to look to God and, and say, Lord, you are sovereign over the wind. You know, you are sovereign over the rain. You're sovereign over the fire. Um, you know, the, I shared with the church on that Sunday from the Heidelberg Catechism, which I don't know about you, but I find the Heidelberg always puts things in the most beautiful way. Um, talking about God's de definition of God's providence. Um, it says the all this, the providence of God is the almighty everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth 
with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And that was the encouragement is when you're in the middle of an emergency, you really do find out who your God is. You know, are you just going to lean on your own resources, thinking this through? Um, are you going to turn to the government, to the authorities, to man? Um, or are you going to turn to the Lord first and foremost? And that was uh, the burden that I had to share with the church is with the Lord. When you know the Lord and you can and you're going through a disaster, uh, what an anchor we have, what a foundation, you know, what a source of hope. And and actually the Christian should be so radically different than the world. Like the world is filled with, you know, essentially like a chicken little kind of response, like everything that happens, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, right? And everyone panics. Um, we saw that with COVID. We've seen this with fires. We see this all the time. People are fearful. People panic. And the government and various authority figures, they will rush into that void to try to be the source of calm and all of this. And yet they're incompetent. Ultimately, they are not, like you said, impotent. They're, they're not powerful enough to deal with these problems. And that's because this is a big world. And this is a, a scary world. There's many things that could take you out and take me out any day. And so we must live under the providence of God. And for the Christian who's come to faith in Christ has seen that God's not only their creator, but their redeemer. They've trusted him. Now, now they can sing that old hymn, what a friend I have in Jesus. You know, wherever I go, whatever I go through, he is with me through the fire. He's with me through the floods. Um, and then we can pray, you know, and pray that Psalm 56, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can fire do to me? Um, and then maybe we'll get the response that Peter said we should get, which is when people ask you for the reason for the hope that's in you. They say, Hey, I'm kind of panicked right now. Uh, everything's out of control. Everything's crazy. And, and yet you seem joyful and hopeful. And calm. How, Where does that come from? And it comes when you've set apart Christ as Lord uh, in your heart. You got to forgive me, Michael, for preaching a little bit. I'm a preacher. You get a preacher on your podcast. This is bound to happen. No, you know, it. it, it it's interesting you even said that at the very last second, because I think that this is the this is where I get excited about the podcast. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is you and I are, are two guys having a conversation about a real life issue that's going on in your community right now. And people are hearing us navigate that as citizens of this world and mm -hmm. citizens of the kingdom of God. And as citizens of this world where we are, um, where we are trying to trying to find out the actual facts. We're trying to find out what's the difference between an actual good, wise local plan versus political rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And of course the kingdom of heaven is invading our citizenship of, of this world. You know, God is sovereign over all of the kingdoms of the world. He's sovereign over Canada and the United States, and he's sovereign over France. You know, we, uh, we've just, just aired a video from a, a pastor who's living in France and, and, and Ross crazy enough, 
in that video, he said he's more concerned about the World Economic Forum than he is about the rise of Islam in France. I, I, I fell off my chair based upon how much authoritarianism he's seeing there. Mm-hmm. And so Christians very often, we've, we've removed conversations about God when we feel like we are just dealing with material issues when all issues, all material issues are, you know, are issues that are in God's world where God is transcending the world and and God is in control of the world. He's in control of these material issues. And we are responding to him as a, a full human being, you know, he's transcendent. And he's imminent, you know, right. this is my father's world. That's right. And so these conversations are important because I feel like, and you and I talked about this off air a little bit, right? The, the go in the, the go upstairs into the upper room and pray is a very sincere and real need for Christians to do like put your hands or put your life in the hand of God and Live like you are trusting him and his sovereign control, um, whereby sometimes a fire might burn your house down. Yeah. And you have to live with that reality of the groanings of this world. And, you know, it's interesting. I was sitting around with a number of families the other day who all have, have had or have sick children. And when you have a sick child... It is like an event, like a house burning down where there's a finality, like there, there's, 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 there's no more miracle praying. You know, we, we've prayed God protect the house. The house isn't protected right after the house burned down. We said, God re-resurrect the house. Like do something, move a mountain here. And you're mm-hmm. praying in faith. You, you say to your child, God, please protect my children from illness. And then you have a child who. Um, has spina bifida or a child who has had cancer or you have a child who has um, uh, Down syndrome. Well, the, the miracle praise, prayers stop. And, and when I say they stop, I mean you're, you love your Down's child. You love your child with spina bifida mm-hmm. and you're not living in this immature space where the only way that that child operates is if God – sovereignly heals immediately. So, so you're in this real realm of, I have to have very tangible plans to minister to my unhealthy child. I have to have very tangible plans to rebuild my house or protect my house. But we're, 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 we're praying the whole time and, and we are depending on God and saying, God, your will be done and seeing his perspective, you trying to glimpse his perspective um, yes. or his perspective of trusting him. I, I don't mean his perspective of knowing what he's doing, but, but this perspective of God is good and, and, and God will do good for those who love him and trust him. And he is serving his purposes. And this is a really complex um, equation between trusting God and human action. So I think these are very important conversations and I'm glad that you're preaching a little bit, Ross, because 
we are, we're, we're living in attention. You're living in attention where as a pastor, you're going to get up on Sunday and you're going to call people to pray and depend on God. And on Monday, you're going to turn around and say, okay, where are the buckets and who's getting trained? Yeah. And let's go and proclaim the new heavens and the new earth, yeah. proclaim the gospel that people would want to live in a place that doesn't have to deal with this brokenness anymore through the forgiveness that Christ has offered. Because again, God has created this world but if wildfires are a part of the new heavens and the new earth, they are not going to be a part of causing any type of pain or harm to anybody. It's going to be a much different type of environment. I don't know. Jump in here before I, before yeah, I get I really heretical like, or something. No, I really like what you said, though, about, you know, eventually the prayers for, say, the miracle to change the problem, they stop. You know, you say... I've been praying, Lord, change this, change this. And eventually you have to get to a place where you, really, you have to trust God that maybe he's changing me. Yes. That, you know? Thank you. for That is exactly what I was trying to get to. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it is the most important thing. So, yeah, we, we shouldn't apologize for preaching, you know, oh, let's get to the practical matters that are more important, like how to put out a fire. It's like, actually, no, the most important thing is that you would know God and have peace with him. Yes, and, 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 and how do I submit to your will now, Lord, when you are sometimes answering my very direct prayers positively and sometimes changing me? Because yeah. that's what happens. When you, you know, we're, we're, again, relating to these sick children, right? If you're the parent of a sick child, you just realize day in and day out, like very obvious things like the body is frail. I, I will die. Why? Because my child almost dies regularly. Uh, my my brain will go to mush. Why? Because old people uh, lose their ability to think, and I'm seeing this in a young child right now. I'm I, like, you, you realize how frail the human. So you are being changed by God. He's he is preparing you for facing the day of judgment regularly. And so when a fire is in front of me, going to what you just said, Ross, people will cry out and say, "We should call out to the living God." Because there's no one else to call it. Well, God's using that moment to draw people to him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think of the intersection of faith, like Christian faith and politics and things like that. And I know that there's a huge discussion on Christian nationalism and all this. And, and but yet, don't we want to live in a world where the press conference would begin with prayer in Jesus name? Lord, save us from this fire. We're gonna, and then and then we'll talk about what we're doing. But we're putting all things um, under God, and we're, you know, that's what we want. And, and and not only the press conference starting that way, but the strategic plan starting with okay, everybody stop. The first thing is you're not allowed to say anything false. Yeah. So if you don't know for a hundred percent certainty of what you're claiming. And you have a political motive to do it. Stop. It will not be tolerated in this meeting. We have five fires we got to deal with. They're local issues. And don't say anything other than using gas in order for us to get there. Like, that was yeah. not it, – it would change things. Yeah. And just that dependence on God where there's less of that proud, man-centered, you know, and here's an interesting thing, too. I think that a Christian maybe or just a person who's maybe well-informed and maybe a little bit skeptical of the government, they can fall into the same thing of putting their focus on on man way too much. 
And and I think the wildfire is one of those things that kind of transcends that where it's really obvious to see that the Lord can stop this. The Lord can intensify this. Man might have some responsibility in it getting started or, or in not managing it properly, but we are truly at the mercy of the Lord. And it's, in a sense, that's a gift. You know, the book of Job, um, God gives Job that gift of, of changing Job and of showing Job the glory of God, who God really is, or where Job would eventually repent um, and, and say, I, I thought I knew you of the hearing. I knew you of the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you and I repent. Uh, but the beginning of the story of Job, you, you remember he loses everything and yet he trusts in the Lord. And he says, you know, the Lord gave, the Lord takes, has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, shall we not receive evil from the Lord as well as from good? And that'll challenge your theology, but we live in a world that is governed by loving providence, by God, by God himself. And everyone needs to know that. That's not just a Christian truth. That's a public truth. God is sovereign and, and we need God. It's really interesting. We're We're kind of delving into lots of topics here, but I, again, you're, we're delving into a topic of the nature, um, the human habit of blame and the difference between having a measure of accountability for something that we can be in control of and blame for something that is completely outside of our control. Um, I'm thinking about um, just our, our quick human habit to just say, Okay, well, that happened because of so and so, and it is true. Like it, it is true in moments. Human responsibility. That's why we have courts. That's why we have investigations. Those are very important. But on the flip side, we we often go much further into situations in order for our own. I'm thinking of First Corinthians five. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? But instead, um, you wrong and and cheat others. You know. Um, I'm actually going to bring that up and, and quote that um, appropriately. So everybody uh, talk amongst yourself. The yeah, conversation. Me, well, as you get that, let me just say, um, yeah, kind of what I was getting at with that is that there's a tendency to either view man as the savior for the situation or the scapegoat. So savior or scapegoat. So either whether you're viewing, say, the authority in a negative light or a positive light, you could still be erring in the sense that you're looking to man and you're magnifying man in this situation and leaving God out of it. And that's never appropriate. God is our ultimate savior and he's sovereign. And, and so we can't lose that. And it's interesting how a dependency upon the Lord creates a maturity. Because again, in all of these situations, so First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5 um, uh, go goes on to say, um, actually, I'll, I'll start at First Corinthians chapter chapter one. If any of you has a dispute with one another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? So do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes such as matters. Uh, about such matters, appoint judges, uh, even men of little account in the church, 
I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is no one among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one believer goes to law against another, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. And so this is an indictment on the church, and the, and the reason why I'm bringing this in, Ross, is because in these moments, in these very practical moments, wildfires are raging. Who started them? Who's responsible for managing them? Um, is there a possibility to manage them? What were the policies in place to protect the homes of Kelowna? All of these types of things, there is a connection to a mature Christian mind that is rep that is an acknowledging God's sovereignty. And again, Ross, as we talk about that, sometimes people, when we when we pastors talk about God's sovereignty, they think of it um, in a very distant way. But God's sovereignty, in the sense of like he is not only in control of the laws of nature, but he is in control of the laws of men and women who live within nature. And so this concept of sovereignty goes far beyond just God being in control of the moment, but he is also in control of how we humans opt to operate in the moment. And yeah. a mature Christian worldview that can both pray, that can repent, that can acknowledge when the fire is beyond control and absolutely no human fault other like a divine act of God, that Christian mind has the ability to then actually go and manage these disputes and to judge between these disputes when human action needs to be taken. So it is the Christian mind that is able to say, you know what, there was nothing that could be done and we all just need to take care of one another. Or no, that was legal arson over there. We've got to deal with that. It's the further and further away culture gets from this uh, dependence on Christians or from this Christian stewardship and this trust of God that leads people into wrong and then, like, as you had mentioned earlier, very uh, hopeless and then very blame-filled answers. Yeah. That's why yeah. these conversations are so important. Thank you for coming on and, and talking about this. Uh, yeah, I've been glad. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, maybe just to wrap up on my part of things, I would just say, you know, you think of God's sovereignty over it. I like to think of it as a story. And what character are you in this story? You know, and because and God is the one who's writing history. And there's there's subplots. There are and, and he does it in a way where people are responsible and we need to deal with that, like you were just saying. But are you the chicken little sky is falling kind of guy running, running around panicking? Or are you that saint who has a hope and a faith in God that is unshakable? And that is what we all need more than any government inquiry or, you know, um, any kind of plan or any, anything like that. The most important thing would be that we would know God and have that peace that passes all understanding that, that really that hope that is built on the rock of Christ. And it's amazing the resources that a mature Christian has. Because like you, just like you said, we can judge these cases. We can, we can look at it with a clear eye because we don't have fear clouding our vision. We have faith and trust and, and the, the blood pressure is, is kind of low, you know, and we're able to think. And um, that's, I think, what we should all aspire to be is 
more trusting of the Lord and solid that way. And I, I think there, why we're going back and forth on this is because I think many Christians, when they think about trusting the Lord, they think of escaping. I'm going to trust the Lord so that I won't worry because I'm, he's going to get me out of this or ultimately I'm going to get out of this rather than understanding in, in that character. No, God has given you and equipped you to then go out and make disciples in this world and to lead this world and to make judgments in this world. And so it is not, it is not a God is control to get you out. It's mm -hmm. God is in control so you can actively participate no trusting that your heavenly father is both going to use you and he is going to um ultimately protect you through these things and ultimately give you the a future inheritance that would far exceed some of the sufferings you have to go through because you turn around and you go no i i'm going to pick up the water buckets and i'm going to do it while I say a psalm, you know what? I'm going to go into that forest fire as a as a firefighter, and I'm going to say the, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, you know, um, he leads me beside uh, still pastures and and uh, or uh, green pastures and still waters. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be active with that hope, not not kind of sit there in a startled. Uh, you know, um, crumpled up, huddled up position saying, okay, God, get me out, get me out. No, it's like, no, he's, he's strengthening me to go back in. I, I think that's yeah. a, a point that I want to leave our listeners with when they think of this relationship between prayer and action and dependence on God and human responsibility. Yeah. Did that bring any up anything else that you got to correct or are we good? No, no, good. It just reminded me of one verse. Can I, I do it? Use of that too. Um, you know, Paul is talking in Second Corinthians. Uh, There's really a great section all throughout, but in chapter four, he, he says, "We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not driven to despair; persecuted, but not forsaken; struck down, but not destroyed." And then he goes on and says, "We don't lose heart." Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Paul was absolutely engaged in the mission. He was going to get persecuted. He was going to go into the fire, as it were. And he was very responsible but all throughout it he is trusting in the lord looking to what is unseen and that's what it means to live by faith yeah absolutely so folks if you're listening and you have uh, never um believed in the lord jesus christ for the salvation of your sins for the forgiveness of your sins and for salvation unto a new heavens and new earth mm -hmm. pastor ross and i would really encourage you to stop trying to um live as if you are in control of the world or as if others are and, and trust the Lord. And for those of us who are listening and you, and you, you know, you've had a battle for prayer, you know, the, uh, there's been some difficult times in your life and you turn away from God. The answer is to turn towards the Lord in prayer and depend upon him. 
And you might waste away on your outside because we actually will, like some of us are going to get much bigger and fatter for a while. And then as we get older, then we start wasting away. Some of us are just going to get wasted away from being in the fire. And yet we put our hope in the Lord and we know that he will make all things right. And so look at everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is a real subject with, with a, with a number of very important topics. Ross, thanks for coming on. Folks, you can trust good Christian testimonies all around the world, the way that you, the, the way that we have been able to do so historically. So this podcast, we're going to keep talking to people of conviction, and often we find out that they are Christians who are willing to speak the truth and help you interpret the world without so much fear. So everybody, thanks for listening. I want you to um, make sure that you know that all of our shows go out on Apple and wherever you can get your your podcast. They all of our shows go out on one feed called Liberty Dispatch. So we the the, the boys over at the Liberty Dispatch have their own show. But we put out all of their feeds, Open Mic and the other club and Liberty Dispatch, all under that one feed. Um, And then, of course, you can get all of our shows on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network by downloading the FLF app. Thanks for listening and Godspeed.